Philippians chapter number four. I have been preaching in and out of this chapter for several months now, and it's just been a blessing to me. It's one of those passages that gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and I trust the Lord will speak to our hearts tonight. I asked Dr. Gravely how long he normally preached on Wednesday night, and he said 10 minutes. No, he said two hours and 10 minutes, amen. But I want to look at it tonight. Look in the book of Philippians, chapter number four, and for a text verse, we'll use verse number four. Philippians chapter four and verse four, sit with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. And for double emphasis, and again, I say rejoice. When Paul writes this passage, of course, he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But as he writes this, he is not on a Caribbean vacation. He is not down by the beach with his lemonade. He is not up in the mountains looking over the summit, the sunrise. He is in a prison, beaten with stripes and beaten with rods. His feet and hands are chained to the smutty walls of a rat, disease, roach-infested prison. But yet he could say, in spite of what it looks like, what it feels like, what it sounds like, rejoice in the Lord. I love the little word that he uses here, the word rejoice. The root word there is the word joy. And we, not, we all know what joy means. It is an inward burst of radiant glory. Joy is not depending upon if something happens or if something doesn't happen. It is an inward burst of radiant glory. And we that are saved tonight know what that radiant glory is. Christ in you the hope of glory. So it's an inward burst of radiant glory. But when you put that R-E in front of it, like you do the other words, it means to reverse the process. For instance, the word revelation. The key word there, the root word, is the word veil, to cover. But when you reveal something, you reverse that process and you take down the curtain and you reveal it. Well, the root word is the word joy, an inward burst of radiant glory. But when you put the R-E in front of it, you reverse the process. So if joy is an inward burst of radiant glory, then to reverse the process to rejoice is an outward expression of an inward condition. If joy is an inward burst of radiant glory, then to rejoice is an outward explosion. And every once in a while, we just need to take the joy that is in their bursting and outwardly express it and outwardly explode it because I'm glad that when we rejoice in the Lord, we always have a reason to rejoice. And as I begin to study this passage, I found five reasons why the saints of God can rejoice in the Lord. Reason number one, look in verse number six. Paul says in the passage, to be careful for nothing, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. You know why we can rejoice in the Lord tonight? Because we have a prayer that settles us. I'm glad we that are saved tonight have access to God's throne of grace. And I'm glad tonight when we can't fight our way out and buy our way out and earn our way out or even crawl our way out, we can pray our way out of trouble. And Paul said we don't have to be cumbered and in bondage with fear 
and care and anxiety. But we can pray with prayer and thanksgiving and let our requests be made known unto God. And because we can pray to the Lord and pray with absolute utmost confidence that he hears and answers our prayer, we can rejoice in the Lord. When you realize who Paul is writing to, it's even bigger. He's writing to the church at Philippi. Do you remember where the church of Philippi was birthed? Remember in Acts 16, they're in Philippi. They're preaching in the power of God and God's a saving people and heaven's mad and uh, heaven's glad and hell is mad. And all of a sudden they begin to get persecuted and they take them and beat them with stripes and they throw them in the Philippian jail. The Bible says in the inner prison. But it says at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the Bible said, and the earth began to shake. And God shook the foundation of that prison cell. And the bars were open. And the Philippian jailer came and knelt down before Paul and Silas and said, what must I do to be saved? And thank God Paul wasn't a Calvinist. He could say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And from that jailhouse shaking revival, God birthed the church at Philippi. And now Paul is writing that church because they are now going through the persecution for their stand for God. And Paul said, do you remember what I did when I was there? I prayed my way out of jail. He had a spell in the county jail. He prayed his way out of trouble. And now Paul writes that church and says, even though you may be persecuted and even though the world is trying to put you in bondage, we have access to the throne. We have access to the Father and we can pray and supplicate and with thanksgiving and because God answers prayer and hears our prayer, we can rejoice in the Lord. Thank God we have a prayer. I love the way the King James words that. With prayer and thanksgiving. Some of you old timers may have come from a family like I did. My mother tried her best to teach me some etiquette, some manners. And it's hard to teach a redneck any kind of culture at all. But man, when we came to the table, that was serious business. We couldn't come to the table barefooted. We couldn't come to the table without our, with our shirt off. You couldn't do that. You couldn't wear a hat at the table. And you couldn't sing and laugh at the table. And, and you definitely didn't throw food. And I'll tell you something else you would never do. You'd never say, I don't like it. Because you wouldn't eat that. You would wear that. And I remember sitting at the table one night and man, I love taters. I just got back from preaching up north. You know, they spell them with a P up there. They're not as smart as we are down here. And I said, Ma, pass the taters. And she said, oh no, we don't say that around here. We say, thank you for the potatoes. Now you had to be careful when you were discussing something with my mother. Because if she thought you were being a smart aleck, you know what would happen. She'd say, no, 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 no. I said, mama, you, you, you give me the taters and then I'll thank you. Somebody asks for something, then you give it to him. And then when you do that, then they say, thank you. She said, you'll never get them that way. She said, if you don't thank me in advance, you're not going to get them. I said, okay, thank you for the potatoes. And I got them. And I said, mama, I don't understand. She said, son, I'm trying to teach you something about prayer. And she quoted this verse with prayer and thanksgiving. She said, son, just go ahead and thank God in advance. 
because if he don't do anything but save you, you're obligated to say thanks. And with prayer and thanksgiving, we let our request be made known unto God. And I'm glad even in times of of trouble and darkness and, and adversity, we can rejoice in the Lord because there's a prayer that settles us and we've got access to the throne and our God, he hears and he answers prayer. Thank God for a prayer line. Jesus on the main line. And I'm glad he hears and answers our prayer. There is a prayer that settles us. Number two, if you will, look at reason. Number two, look in verse number seven. Notice the conjunction that begins that verse. Notice verse six with prayer and thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. We rejoice in the Lord because there's a prayer that settles. But number two tonight, we rejoice in the Lord because there is a peace that's sustained. Again, remember Paul is in prison when he writes this. And Paul is in peril when he writes this. Paul is in pain when he writes this. He is in the inner prison. He has been persecuted. He has paid a price for standing for God. His whole world seems to be filled with torment. But yet the man of God says from his lowly prison cell, I got peace, I got peace. And because I got peace, I can rejoice in the Lord. Did you know me? Did you know tonight? All men desire that. And all men seek that. But most will never find that, and a lot will die without that because they don't know where to go find that. But I'm glad we that are saved tonight have found the springboard, the fountain, the head of the stream of the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Verse nine in this same passage says, not all the peace of God, but it says the God of peace. And aren't you glad tonight peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is not the absence of difficulty. Peace is not the absence of disappointment. Peace is not even the absence of fear. But but, but peace is faith and hope and courage and trust and assurance and anointing. Not in the absence of those things, but right in the midst of all of those things. Oh, I love the way he words it in verse seven. The little word keep, that little word keep is an interesting word. It means to put up a parameter. It means to stand a sentry. It means to stand as guard. It means to umpire, call the shots, to rule over and watch over. Oh, aren't you glad tonight in an insane world there's a deep settled peace that umpires and rules and reigns and stands guard and stands sentry and watches and keeps us in a world that's insane. We have the peace of God that keeps us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. Peace in the time of trouble. Peace in the midst of the storm. Peace though the world be a raging in the shelter of his arms. It is not an accident that one of the titles of our Lord is Prince of Peace. For if you know the Prince of Peace, and you possess the God of peace and you are in the peace that passeth all understanding because having justified by faith, we have peace with God and we have the peace of God and peace with God because we have the God of peace. 
that tells me something tonight. If he is the God of peace, without him there is no peace, but with him there is peace that passeth all understanding. That all understanding is what I call one of those over-the-top verses of the Bible. You say, what in the world is that? One of the over-the-top verses of the Bible. Well, the Bible says we don't have life. It says we have everlasting life. We have more than life. We have eternal life. We have more than eternal life. We have abundant life. We don't have just a cup. We don't have just a full cup. We got a overrunning cup. We don't have just joy, but we have joy unspeakable and full of glory. We're not just conquerors, but we're more than conquerors. We don't have just salvation. We got so great a salvation. And our God is not average. He is so great of our God. And we don't have just peace, but we've got peace that passeth all understanding. The world looks at a child of God walking through 40 acres of hell and they say, I don't understand how they can walk through all of that and still love the Lord and still go to church and and still walk with God. Sometimes I don't understand it either, but there is a peace that sustains us in the midst of our troubles and that's why we rejoice in the Lord. We have a prayer that settles. We have a peace that sustains. Reason number three, look if you will in verse number 13. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. We rejoice in the Lord because we have a power that strengthens. Notice how Paul words it in verse 13. I can do all things. And if you want to know what he's referring to in all things, you start in verse six and work your way down to verse number 12 and you'll find out what them all things are. What are those all things? Paul said, I can pray and not worry. I can rest in the midst of my trouble. And when I am abased and when I am down and when I am out, no matter what state I'm in, I can be content. I can rest in the Lord. I can do all of these things. How can you do all of these things? Because there's somebody living in me and his name is Jesus and he strengthens me. Well, I was preaching the other day on that little word strength. And I got to studying that. And I got blessed on my own preaching. That little word strength is the same Greek word that's translated endue with power. That endue with power, the word picture is to put on a clothing that you didn't have before. You know what it says when they, he said go to Jerusalem and wait till you be endued, clothed upon with power. You go there and wait till God gives you something whoop, you didn't have before. You know what the strength of God is? It's his clothing. It's his endowment. It's his anointing. It's his enablement. It's him giving us something that we didn't have before. Well, I promise you tonight, my strength is not in my talents, my abilities, my personalities, my intellect. Oh, no, it's a clothing. It's an endowment. It's an empowerment from God. It's something I didn't have before. Aren't you glad tonight God Almighty in the midst of your trouble can give you something you didn't have before? Strength and power and gift that I can do out of too. Woo! I can, I can. Oh, do you realize who's saying this? A man that said, I've been shipwrecked. I've been stoned. I've been beaten with rods. I've been beaten with stripes. A man that could say, I've been in peril on the land and on the sea. A man that says, I've been cold and hungry and thirsty and naked. I've abounded and I've been abased. I have had and I have had not. 
yet none of these things move me that I might finish my course with joy. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. It's not I, but Christ living in me. I'm more than a conqueror. For we know that all things were together for good to them that love God. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. I could stand in a night for hours and quote you, sayings of Brother Paul, positive, on fire, heart-rendering, soul-blessing statements. And every statement that he made, he can do it. He can do it because there is an endowment of power. There's a clothing of power. I'm about to enjoy myself. God is doing for him what he didn't have before and it's an inside strength that works its way on the outside. Can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I don't ever give this illustration unless I'm among friends. So I'm going to give it tonight because I think I'm among friends. Thank all three of you. Let me try that again. I think I'm among friends. That's better. Don't you psychologically wound me while I'm here. But I grew up in the 70s. Somebody asked me not long ago, Brother Arthur, how old are you? I said, well, I'm pre-Walmart. <laughs> I didn't grow up going to Walmart. You old timers didn't either. We grew up going to Kmart. And we didn't go to Sears. We went to Sears and Roebuck. All of us grew up with a French tailor, J.C. Penney. I'll tell you how old I am. I remember a payphone. I tell you how old I am. I remember when women cooked. <laughs> Woo. I tell you how old I am. I remember falling down, skinning my knee, and getting my thigh laid put on it. And bless God, that's child abuse right there, friend. <laughs> Billy Kelly said he grew up taking castor oil for everything. He said it didn't matter what it was. We took it. I said, even for a cold? He said, even for a cold. I said, did it cure the cold? He said, well, if you took enough of it, you'd be afraid to cough, but you'll get that after a while. <laughs> These kids going, what in the world is that stuff? But I grew up in the early 70s. And I'm telling you, I wouldn't tell this unless I was among friends. I wouldn't tell this unless I was among friends. But I grew up watching wrestling. <laughs> I mean, the old-timey stuff. Wahoo McDaniel. Blackjack Mulligan. Woo! The nature boy. <laughs> Three women just passed out over here. God bless you, hon. But I loved it. My favorite part was when they would take a metal chair, knock somebody upside the head with it. Man, that's cool. Big old 400-pound guy knocking another 400-pound guy upside the head with a chair. And what's more amazing than that, he'd go, that didn't hurt, hit me again. I'm going to need something. You get Brother Joe with a metal chair. I'm not going to need a chiropractor. I'm going to need a doctor. I take that back. I'm going to need an undertaker. <laughs> and I learned all them moves, the suplex, the pile driver, the figure four, the claw. <laughs> I learned them all. And one year for Christmas, Mom and Dad bought me this inflatable punching bag that had a, a wrestler on the front of it. Boy, me and him would battle it out for the world championship. Man, I suplexed that dude. I high kicked that dude. I jumped up on the bed one night. I was going to do one of them high dives ceiling fan. Right there. I'm the only man in the world ever been beat up by a punching bag. But man, I noticed something. I could hit that thing and knock it flat on its back. Right back in my face. I'd go behind him and knock him down right back in my face. I could take him to the right, take him to the, I even tried to flip him upside down, then he flipped right back up. I could not keep him down. And my whole life I have had an inquisitive mind. You say to Brother Joe, what is, what is an inquisitive mind? That means I'll stick my nose in your business if I have a chance. And I wanted to try to find out what it was where I couldn't keep that old boy down. So one Saturday morning, I snuck in the kitchen and got one of my mama's butcher knives. And I stalked that thing like a good Baptist. 
And when he wasn't looking, I just stabbed him in the back like a good Baptist. And like a good Baptist, he did what most people do when they get stuck in the back. All the hot air went out. And here he went. And oh, I got to digging around. And I found the secret. I found the reason why I could knock him down and he'd get right back up. Way down on the inside where you couldn't see. There was a sandbag about this big and about that thick. He had something real heavy on the inside. And what he had that was heavy on the inside brought him back up to the top when he got knocked down on the outside. Boy, we that are saved tonight has got somebody real big and heavy on the inside. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost and the blood of Christ and the word of God and when Satan knocks you down, when Satan knocks you on your face, you rise back up again because there's a strength down on the inside that makes us get up and keep on going in spite of it. We have a power that strengthens that's why we rejoice in the Lord I've been pastoring our little church I can't hardly believe this 35 years Lord have mercy 35 years ago they called me and Miss Arthur she was 19 and I was 22 we had gotten I took the church the first Sunday of October and we got married the first Sunday of November I want to tell you what happened to see us moving that far away from your mother-in-law the day you get married. Just kidding. No, I'm not. I'm caught somewhere between truth and laughter. But we took that little church. Somebody asked me not long ago, Brother Steve, said, Brother Joe, why did they call y'all at such an early age? Easy. They couldn't get nobody else. And this has been my motto for years. When you're better than nothing, you'll be amazed at the opportunities you'll get. <laughs> Boy, for 35 years, and I can't hardly believe it, we have a few left of that original 19. I buried most of them. We got a few left still hanging on in their 80s and 85. And uh, for 35 years, they've let me be their pastor and be their preacher and and I've watched those people. For 35 years, John, I've watched people bury their husbands, bury their wives, do the unnatural and bury their children. I've seen their kids die with AIDS. I've seen their families burn up in fires, killed in wrecks, robbed downtown Atlanta, murdered at the hands of murderous people. For 35 years, I've watched some of those people walk through the most difficult, deepest, darkest places that a human being you can imagine having to walk. But the thing that would amaze me, they, they still come to church. They still believe the Bible. They still sing, how, oh, whoop, oh, how I love Jesus. I like this part. They still tithe. I think I'll say that again. They still tithe. That felt good. I think I'm gonna say that again. They still tithe. They're not bitter. They're not burnt out. They've not walked out on God. And you wonder how in the world can they walk through such deep places and dark places and still sing and love the Lord. I know the secret tonight. It's that strength of God, have mercy, that's down on the inside, that comes on the scene when we need it the most. Woo! We have a power that strengthens us. That's why we rejoice in the Lord. A prayer that settles us and a peace that sustains us. Number four, look if you will in verse number 19. I love this. Paul's giving reasons for rejoicing. And what does he say in verse number 19? But my God shall supply. And I love this phrase. All your 
need. Now watch the King James here. Not out of, but according to his riches in glory. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, we have a provision that supplies. How can we rejoice in the Lord? How can we do that? Because we know our God will supply, not some, not partial, not a few, but all our need. And I give you something tonight I want you to quote after I'm dead. Most famous preachers leave behind something and everybody quotes it. I ain't famous, but I'd like to leave a quote just in case the rapture takes place and you get left behind. I want to leave a quote. God's provision and God's pathway will never part directions. If God has led you to that place, God will meet you in that place. If God has guided you to that place, God will provide for you at that place. Can I tell you, the government and religion don't have a plan as big as what God has got and as great as what God has. You may have been prison, you may be in the valley, you may be in the storm, but my God, your God, he will supply all of our needs. Not out of, but according to. You say, what's the difference between out of and according to? Well, I didn't know this, but I got a son, 31, my daughter's 29. That age group, I didn't know this, they don't write checks. I don't know how you pay your bills if you don't write checks. I remember growing up, I'd say, Mama, I want something. Well, I ain't got no money. Write a check. They don't write checks. One of our staff members a while back said, man, we need to get that online giving. I said, no, sir. If they're too lazy, bless God, to come to church and put their time. He said, preacher, I'm telling you now that, that they don't write checks. And I give in. And when he told me how much has come in, I'm for it now. They don't write checks. I don't know. I don't understand all that electronic draft and all that. I mean, if I feel a draft, that means the wind blowing. They don't write checks. I, I didn't know this coming up. I just say write a check, but I, I didn't know coming up that you had to have something in there before you could get something out of there. But my first day as an adult, I realized you gotta have something in there before you get something out of there. And when you take something out of there, you got less in there before you took it out of there. And I tell you about the Lord tonight, he don't take it out of. He don't meet your need and then not have enough to meet my need. God doesn't meet our need and look around and say, oh no, I've just depleted my supply. No, God is not up in heaven. The sovereign God of eternity is not up in heaven wondering, am I gonna run out? How am I gonna run out? I keep a giving and 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 I keep a taking out. Am I gonna run out? No. God's not wondering if he's gonna run out. He is so omnipotent and sovereign and powerful Powerful. He can meet your need and have enough left to meet my need and meet my need and have enough left to meet your need. Bless God, he ain't out of. It's according to his riches in glory. And that's a lot. And I'm glad he's able to provide and supply our needs. I love the study of the word of God we used to call first mention, first principle. When you mention it for the first time, it's big. You know, Genesis chapter number 22, there are several words you find for the first time in the Bible in that chapter. The first time you find the word love, it's in Genesis 22. 
The first time you find the word worship is in Genesis 22. And the first time you find the word provide is in Genesis 22. Abraham and Isaac are going towards the place, a three-day journey. And when they get to that place, Abraham builds an altar and he builds a fire and he puts Isaac on the altar. And listen, and the question Isaac asks to me is a very legitimate question. I see the fire, I see the knife, but where is the lamb? I'd have been asking that too. And Abraham picks up the telescope of faith, dials it into the new Jerusalem and says, hold on, boy. Everything's gonna be all right. God will provide himself a lamb. That little word provide literally means God will see to it. You old timers, remember your daddy would say, you need to see to that. Boy, you need to see to that. That means you make sure it gets done. Can I tell you the God we love and serve tonight, he'll see to it. It will not go unmet. It will not go unnoticed. It will not go undone. Son, God will see to it. God will see to it himself. God will provide himself because God is not depending upon you, upon me. He'll do it all by himself because he's big enough and he's God enough whoop, and he's holy enough and he's awesome enough. God God will provide himself. Do you know what you got in this text? You got Abraham and Isaac walking up and all they can see is a mountain. But on the other side, you got a ram walking up and all he can see is a mountain. Abraham and Isaac can't see the ram and the ram can't see them. But there's an omniscient God who stands on top of the hill, who sees both sides of the real estate. And he's got the prayer in one hand and the answer in the other. He's got the need in one hand and the supply in the other. He has the problem in one hand and the, and the solution in the other. And God is directing traffic at the top of the hill. And he's got Abraham and Isaac. And he's got the ram. And in sovereign divine appointment, he has a head-on collision on top of that mountain, the mountain of sacrifice. But God steps out of heaven and says, we're gonna have a name change. We're gonna call it Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. You may not know how God's gonna do it, but God, God is going to meet your need and mine. He will supply. He will provide. That's why we rejoice in the Lord. We had been at our church right at 24 years. And we had built on and paved and built on and paved and we just didn't have the room we needed. And I went down to a couple of banks and told them what we were running and what we were needing and what kind of building we need to build. And all those fellas said, well, I, I, to our estimation, Pastor, you, you need about $5 million is what you need. Now, I don't know about you, but $5 million makes me want to take Zantac. <laughs> I mean, it makes me want to grab my heart and say, Elizabeth, this is the big one. And I didn't know what to do. I, I felt like the Lord wanted our church to grow, but we were just locked. We couldn't do it. I didn't know what to do. My nerves can't take five million. I'm already a nervous wreck, but five million wrecks, I couldn't do it. I got buddies of mine, they'll go bartend. I got a friend of mine, his, his, the church, his church payments, $30,000 a month. Whew. I'd be stroking out, brother. I'd be blowing spit bubbles and I wouldn't even be preaching. I didn't know what to do. I was so burdened. I couldn't sleep at night. 
lost my appetite. You can tell I got it back. I just didn't know what to do. I wanted to do right. I really did. I wanted to do right. I just didn't know what to do. And one Sunday night, I got up to preach, and I was so burdened. I couldn't even keep my mind on my thoughts. And so I just said, folks, I'm, I'm, I'm messed up. I, I'm too messed up. I, I'm out of it. I can't preach. And I began to tell our people my burden, and they, they already knew we was in dire straits. And I said, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't know what to do. I've even thought about leaving and you, you calling a guy with some sense. Maybe he would know what to do. And somewhere on this side, about halfway back, I don't know who it was to this day. Now, I, I got my suspicions. But one of the little old ladies in our church said, practice what you preach, brother. <laughs> Time out. When your pastor needs to vent a little he don't need to hear anybody say, practice what you preach, brother. That's how you get a song book chucked at you. <laughs> practice what you preach, brother. And what made me worse mad than that, somebody, hey man, hey man, that was her time to get me. But they were right. About a year rocked on and one Saturday, I came in and my wife said, you need to call this man here. I called him and I said, uh, this is Brother Joe. He said, Brother Joe, I'm so-and-so from over at Harvest Baptist Church and said, I think we can help each other. I said, how is that? He said, well, we got land and we got buildings and we got debt, but we don't have any people. And I said, well, we got people and we don't have no debt, but we don't have the buildings we need. He said, Brother Joe, if you'll come over here and bring your church and assume this debt, it's yours. I told my wife, I said, pack while I pray. We went over there and met with those people and, and I, I asked them, I said, well, how much do you owe? They said, we don't owe but a million dollars, but we don't have it. How much is your place worth? I said, about 700,000. He said, well, would you like to have 17 acres and $5 million worth of property for $300,000? I said, hmm, my roses is blooming again. <laughs> and to make a long story short, God did that for our church. Every Sunday morning, I get up and look around and I have to pinch myself. We had a local real estate man call me. He said, Pastor Arthur, I heard about that deal you brokered. Will you come work for me? I said, Joe T. Lane, let me tell you something. Joe Arthur didn't broker no deal. I didn't even know that church existed. It was five miles from us on another road. I'd never been inside of it. I'd never seen it. I didn't know it. I didn't even know it existed. Nobody in our church knew anything about that church. We didn't know nothing about them. They didn't know nothing about us. But you know what it was? That was a God that knew all about them. And that was a God that knew all about us. And somehow God stepped whoop, out of the shadows and provided our needs. Now, buddy, that ain't something I read online. That ain't something I got out of a sermon book. It happened to me. And here's where I feel about it, and this is not false humility because false humility is another form of pride. But this is how I feel about it. If God can meet the needs of somebody as sorry and low down as I am, there's hope for everybody else in this room. But I don't see how God's gonna do it. That's cause you're not God. In fact, God didn't ask you to see a thing. In fact, God said you don't even need me looking around. For we walk by faith, hallelujah, and not by sight. Because the God that I serve, 
Well, glory. He sees what I cannot see. He goes where I cannot go. He knows what I do not know. He can do what I cannot do. I'm glad the God that lives in us tonight is not a frail God and a weak God and an anemic God and a broke, busted, poor God. He's rich. He's sovereign. He's awesome. He's eternal. He's everlasting. He owns it all. In fact, more than owns it all, he is all. Hallelujah. A provision that supplies. But my God shall supply all of your need. Go back to our text verse tonight. We have a peace. We have a prayer. We have a power. We have a provision. Look in verse number five again in six. Verse, actually, verse four, I'm sorry, verse four. We have a praise. We have a praise. Rejoice in the Lord. Here it is. All the way. And I looked up that little word all the way and got extremely blessed. You know what that word all the way means? It means in and throughout all time. In and under every circumstance or situation. Not before, not during, not after. All way. And then it dawned on me where the Lord has used that same word before. Lo, I am with you. All way. In and throughout all time. In and under every circumstance. Remember what Jesus said, men ought to always pray and not faint in and every under circumstances, in and throughout all time, always pray. You remember what Jesus said? He said, I always do those things which please my Father all the way, every step of the journey. And what Paul said, that God is to make all grace abound always in all things, every step of the journey. And Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always, every step of the journey. And again, and again, and again, I say, rejoice. Express our joy to God because I'm glad when you can't do anything else, you can praise him and worship him. Let me ask you this question in closing tonight. How many believe you have to see yourself a sinner before you'll be saved? How many believe tonight you got to get to the point in your life when you realize you can't save yourself and only God can save you? How many believe tonight that in order to have salvation, you got to trust Christ and Christ alone? I'm going somewhere. How many believe tonight that God forgiven you of every sin, freeing you from your past, writing your name in the book, sealing you with the Holy Ghost until you get there, keeping you out of hell and taking you to heaven. How many would agree with me tonight? That's big stuff. I'm gonna raise both hands. That's big. Think about it. All your sins forgiven, all your past erased, can't go to hell, going to heaven. How many will agree? That's big stuff. Well, here's my point. If you can trust God with something that big, you say, what are you saying? I didn't nothing left to say. Because if that's the biggie, missing hell, 
gain in heaven? If that's the biggie, What I'm going to eat? What I'm going to wear? How I'm going to pay my bills? Why, that's nothing. And a lot of me not going to hell. Woo! And a lot I'm going to heaven when I leave this world. Woo! I feel religious. My sins are forgiven. My past is erased. I stand before God as though I've never sinned, justified, and the Holy Ghost lives in me. And in the light of everything else, oh, big deal. <laughs> Well, glory, I enjoyed that. I know y'all want me to quit, but I want to. Woo! Turn to somebody and just go. You trusted him as your savior, right? You trusted him to keep you out of hell, right? You trusted him to take you to heaven, right? You trusted him to forgive you of every dirty, rotten, low down sin, right? Well, in the light of that, nothing else is all that big. If I can trust God with my eternal destiny, nothing else is off the chart. He's a God that cannot fail. Let's stand together, Lord. We love you tonight. Thank you for the good word of the Lord. Thank you for these precious people. Thank you, Lord, for their pastors whom I love as a brother. We thank you for the anointing, the blessing that is upon him. He's special. He's got special. He's got what money came by. Lord, thank you for the church that works with him and holds up his hands. And I pray that you bless everyone that's here tonight. Lord, I pray for these dear brothers, our comrades, our fellow laborers, our yoke brothers, the rock of ages, Lord. Bless them tonight. Bless their families and meet their needs. Lord, we trusted you for salvation. Keep us from hell, take us to heaven. Lord, in the light of that, everything seems so little. We love you tonight. Increase our faith. We'll give you praise and we'll give you glory. Because we ask it tonight in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name.